Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. Thank you, Terry. That's awesome. Yeah. I like the color of the sanctuary. It's awesome. It's good. Thank you, Jesus. Let the light come in, huh? Amen. Yeah, praise God. Lots going on. Well, let me, um, let me welcome any first-time visitors. If you're a first-timer in these sections, could you just wave at me? We've got a little gift for you right here. Thank you. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming this morning. If you would, uh, there's a little card in the, in the little basket here that we've got for you. If you would just kind of put your information, just drop it in the offering box let us know. We, I promise I won't send you a lot of junk mail. Welcome. If you'd like some more information about the church, just give us a holler. Call the church office. We're glad to meet with you. How about in this section here? Any first-timers over here? Welcome. Praise God. Mike from, Ball, from Maryland, right? All right. God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Well, praise God. It's been so good. I wanted to also let you know that I got an email yesterday from Kent Powell in Mozambique, our missionaries to Mozambique, Kent and Andrea. And if you've been following online, Reach Ministries, they're one of our missionaries we've supported now and been with them, oh gee whiz, 15 years I think now. They were originally with Heidi Baker's ministry and the mission base is under construction. If you were here a few months ago when Kent and Andrea shared, you can go online and, and just look at what they're doing. But he also said, we're really close. Do you think you could send us some more money. I want to have a Christmas party for all the workers. We're finishing the buildings. They're laying the floor. and So I want to pray a blessing over our tithes and our offerings. Lord, I thank you that you have been an amazing Father, Jehovah Jireh, the provider of all good gifts that come from you. And then you shared with us that just like Abraham did with the king of Salem, Melchizedek, he gave 10% of all that he had. We're admonished again by, in the book of Hebrews that even before the law came, Abraham gave. It's not an Old Testament. It's a New Testament promise. Jesus, in Matthew 11 and in Luke 4, 11, uh, he said, tithe, yes, you should tithe. But what about the more important things of love? And So this is like a foundational principle that we get to give back. We keep 90%, we give you 10% plus the offerings. God, I thank you that you've been so faithful both to us and through your people. So Lord, we ask that you take these gifts, small as they might be, and you would convert them into the souls of men and women. The orphans, the treasures that we have overseas, 111 of them, God, we want to thank you that we've been able to send warm clothes. Right now it's very, very cold, no power, no heat, no running indoor plumbing in Nepal and in India. And Lord, we thank you that you are able to do exceedingly abundant. You take a few loaves and fishes and then you multiply them. And I'm so grateful. I am so grateful, God. So would you take these tithes and these offerings and release your blessing over them, the favor of God, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Hallelujah. Mm. At the, I'm going to close the service this morning with communion, and we have a new married couple, Tammy and Bobby. Why don't you guys stand for a minute? They've been in love for several years, and it's been kind of fun to watch, and, and uh, this, mor- this morning I felt we've talked about it. I wanted them to take communion at the end of service with us, and then they've invited you all to come and join us in the cafe afterwards for coffee and cake. So before you run out, I know we're going to have, it wasn't allowed in my house to have dessert before lunch. We're going to make a special dispensation. Eat cake first. Yeah, that's, that sounds prophetic, I think. So come and join Tammy and Bobby afterwards and, and join us in the cafe. Just give your regards. We're going to pray for them as well. Well, I'm real excited. I hope you have a copy of the bulletin um, this morning. Once you, if, you, if you don't have one, you can pick that up out in the foyer. We'll get some more extras for you. But I want to talk to you. I don't have a lot of time, so I need to rock on here. I, 
this burning word in my heart this morning. I have good news for you. Jesus is alive. He sits at the right hand, which says in Ephesians, you've been seated with him in the heavenly realms, and he makes intercession for you. And if God is for us, who do you think can be against you? So whatever's going on, oh, you need to get rid of that mess. We already took care of the accuser, but I've got some good news. The title of this message this morning, The Power of His Grace. The Power of His Grace, especially in spiritual warfare. And um, I want to... I want to set this up this morning. I want to share with you that we really, I don't, think have a real handle on how powerful the grace of God is. We read it. You, can, you get all the right language and the exorbitancy of it. But one day, I'm telling you, I'm going to try to paint a picture. I'm telling you, the revelation of that grace, I'm getting zapped right now. Oh, Lord, Jesus. He's saying, you got it, Tom. You got it. Come on. So there's this, but you really can't understand the revelation of his grace without first understanding the power of his wrath. Now, there's a whole lot of cheap grace stuff talked about today. And, and man, we celebrate grace. But I want to look at, and until you realize, man, it could get really ugly and bad, then we're over here, wow, this is the goodness of God. And once you've tasted and seen the goodness of God, well, one of the ways you can see the goodness of God is get a revelation on the wrath of God that's coming on the whole earth. And so I don't want to spook you, but I, and I'm going to end, I promise to end positive, but I need to show you some things that um, we really cannot understand grace and its power until we look at the wrath of God. God is always good. That means he's a God of justice, and he's good and he's severe at the same time. Now, if you get a picture of a disciplinarian, a loving mother or father, a grandparent, you love your children, grandchildren, but there's times they just need to go to the woodshed. They need time out, right? And so, he, it would, he, in fact, Paul tells us that that would be just goofy not to have the discipline of God. And whom he loves, he disciplines. Well, there's, there's two Greek words, actually, in the New Testament that deal with the wrath of God. Orge. O-R-G-E, and thymus, T-H-Y-M-O-S. 36 times in the New Testament that Greek word orge is used, and it means a, an abiding or a settled fact, a state of mind. Think of this place where it's, it's, a, sta- it's a fact that the God, the God who is all, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is coming back. One day the eastern sky is going to split wide open, and he's coming back. He's going to tell his angels to gather all of the elect from the four corners, bring them to one place, and then he is going to pour out the wrath of God. It is a settled, abiding fact. It's coming. You can try to run from it. You can try not to address it. Most people say, well, I don't even want to think about that. Well, it'd be wise to think about it because it's coming. It's kind of like the, lady, the young lady who came back and she, got, she lost her faith if she ever had it when she was in college. And Grandma's sitting in the rocking chair. Says, Grandma, you told me about the, the fire and hellfire and the heaven and the devil. Grandma, I just don't believe that anymore. Child, just because you don't believe it doesn't put the fire out. That's the truth. You can dismiss it, but it's coming. And the word says this. You can bank your life. You can bank eternity on the words that are written in this book, right? 2 Timothy 3.16, he tells you, you can... Count on what the word says, right? So I want us to look at a couple of scriptures that maybe sets that tone. Why don't you turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. We're looking at the wrath of God. That second word for wrath is the boiling anger, the fierce wrath of God. Now, I'm not trying to discourage you, but man, let's look at what he says. Revelation 16. Now, just to set you up, we've, we've taught on this before, but I'm just going to, after chapter 4 of Revelation, there is no mention of the church until Revelation 19 at the end. So in this chapter, many believe that the, the Lord has picked up, and in fact, you see this in Revelation 3, the church has been taken out, and their seat, we're with God, and then he pours out his wrath upon the earth. And it is worse than has ever occurred and ever will be. 
And so I want you to see in Revelation 16, and let's look at verse 19. First of all, this whole chapter deals with this terrible, horrible pouring out of the destruction. The vials, the, the bowls have been opened. Chapter 17 deals with the mystery of Babylon, the great mother of the harlots, the abomination of all horror that's taken place. It says he pours out his wrath. In Revelation 16, 19, it says, And the great city was divided into three parts. The cities and the nations fell, and the great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. New Living Translation says it this way, he made her the harlot of all destruction to drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. I don't know about the fierce wrath, but that literally means the boiling anger of God. Turn to Revelation 19. Verse 15 says this. This is where the rider on the white horse has come. This is the war. It's the shortest war in the history. Jesus comes with his armies from heaven. He says, John the Revelator says in verse 11, I saw heaven open. The one who is faithful, the rider who is true, who judges fairly from the wages of the righteous war. His eyes were flames of fire. His head was filled with crowns. The name written and understood of him his robe was dipped in blood, and the title was the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest pure white linen, followed him with their white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like the juice that flows from a wine press. And on his robe and on his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want you to see us lock, lock, step, riding in place. We're going down. We're going to take back all that was stolen. Amen. And it says the fierce wrath of God. This is where he destroys the enemy with the breath of his word. Let me short us. You can get a picture of all these characters lined up. We're going to destroy. Yeah, we're going to come against the Antichrist. This is like, yeah, right. And then the barbecue pit is opened and he's thrown in there. Man, it is going to be amazing. But I want you to see there is a fierce wrath of God. Now let's go and see that divine wrath is both deliberate, it's measured, and it's perfectly holy. The wrath of God, the divine wrath of God, it's measured, it's purposed, deliberate, and it's perfectly holy. There is this time in this place when he comes. Many think it's very soon. All the alignments of everything scripturally that have occurred, hundreds of prophecies that have already been fulfilled. That one day, suddenly, when they least expect it, this thing is closed, and then the wrath of God will come. Now let's do a little easier. How about grace? <laughs> Once you understand that God is holy, and you can get a picture if someone were to, some evil were to come against someone you loved, there might be a boiling anger wrath that would rise up in you. No way you're going to touch my loved ones. God is watching. He's a God of grace. He's a God of great patience, but he watches all the injustice done. It says, Peter tells us, he's not slack concerning these promises. He's waiting so that so many will be able to come in. Every day that he delays coming, guess what? More and more come into the kingdom. And so, but there is a point where he says, I've had enough. It says in uh, Romans, he says, when the exact number of Gentiles has come into the kingdom, all of Israel will be saved. So the clicker's running. Gentile saved, Gentile, Gentile, boom. And then God is about, to, now it's done. Let's go get this done. And then we're going to see things that he says if the time weren't shortened for the very elect's sake, they would even be deceived. So we know that's coming, and we want to be out of here. I don't know if you're a post-tripper, pre-tripper, mid-tripper. I'd like to be on the first train out of here, right? I'd like to watch this from my, the video screen in heaven. 
grace, charis in the Greek, it's to have unmerited favor that cannot be earned, the goodwill and the loving kindness, especially granted by a superior to one who is inferior. Unmerited grace and favor that cannot be earned, poured out by one with loving kindness who is superior to those who are inferior. That's us. Even though we've been created in his likeness, that grace that's gone. Now, I'm going to read some scriptures that, honestly, if you don't get wowed on this, you need to have your blesser adjusted, okay? So turn with me. And LJ shared this at a, when we were closing the service at a Romans 5, and I intended to read that today. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. I want to read several scriptures here. I just want you to listen carefully, if you can. And this place where grace, first of all, grace, we know by salvation, we can't earn salvation, right? Right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. If remember what Lisa did more, did such a great job in the book of study of Ephesians. We've been looking at the men's group on Monday night. Men, you need to come to that. It's awesome. But we looked at it, and we looked at a little bit of Watchman Nee's uh, sit, walk, stand. The book of Ephesians, all six chapters, we're seated in the heavenly realms, and then Paul tells us you need to walk out your, your, your walk of uh, favor with God, but then when there's times when we got to just stand, and there's times in the standing, and so grace is conditional. Even though it's free, it's conditional. He pours out his grace on all. Even, when, even though we're all sinners, God's grace, even, he, he wants all to be saved, and we know not all will be saved. So it's conditional. Example of this one, um, remember when Noah, it says, you don't need to turn there, but in, Noah, in Genesis 6, 9, and in, in Genesis 6, 6, it says, Noah was a righteous man, and he walked in close fellowship with God. The New Living says, there was favor on Noah because he was righteous. Then he says, he appeared to Noah and says, build me a boat. There's obedience that unlocks grace. It's not just, well, I can do this and get away with anything. You know, grace is cheap. I'll be saved. No, righteousness is one of the aspects of the condition of the release of grace. It was counted unto Abraham to be justified. He was given all the promises because of faith in God. And so, but what did he have to do? The first thing that happened is, Abraham, get up and go. Well, go where? I'll show you. There's an obedience side of grace. So we can't say, well, I got grace, grace, grace. I can do whatever I want. We're going to deal with this in Romans. No, grace is not cheap. It's not earned. We don't deserve salvation, but there's an obedient part of salvation. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Wow, there's tension in Scripture there. You can lose grace. How about Galatians? We won't go, in, but Galatians, Paul deals with this. In fact, it's a chapter that really annoyed the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, right? They have fallen from grace. You have become bewitched. You want to go back into the law and try to earn what you cannot earn. You want to make it Jesus plus something. No, you can't. It is Jesus and him alone. That's where grace comes from. But there's something about the walk of grace that is conditional. And so one of the questions we might ask is when Abraham was asked, come, follow me. I'll make you the father of many nations. Isaac is born. You know the story. But then he says, now bring your Isaac and sacrifice him to me. I got a question for us. Are there any Isaacs that we need to put on the altar? Are there any boats he told you to build that we're not building? These are just questions that you know, we all need to look in the mirror and say, God, I want to be obedient. I don't want to be works righteous driven, but I have to understand also what you said about grace. So are you there? Let's turn and look at Romans 5 for a moment. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation, and I want you to hear the power of the grace of God. 
My Bible titles chapter 5 of Romans, Faith That Brings Joy. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. I love the song set. They didn't know what I was going to preach on, but we now, we've been set free and now we share in his glory. We represent his glory. King James says that in verse 2. He says, is accessed by faith that his grace wherein we now stand rejoicing in hope in the glory of God. Undeserved privilege. Verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Whew, okay. For we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops the strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came and just the right time died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for an especially good person. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right, I love that. You, it's like you were pushed into a mold and you were made right in God because of what he did, not because you did anything special. We have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ and he will certainly save us from condemnation. For since our friendship is with God and was restored by his death of his son while we were still his enemies, we are certainly saved through the life of his son. And now we rejoice in the wonderful new relationship with God because the Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Now, I don't know about you. I have not always been a really good friend of God. And Lord, I'm trying, Lord. But this word says, by the faith that Christ did on the cross, he's now brought you away as enemies and made you a friend. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm God's friend. I am God's friend. So you got any friends? Yeah, God's my friend. Tell that to some in the world and say, hmm. But you can get the book out and say, let me show you Romans 5. Not by what we did. I'm not such a good friend. I'm just telling you this is what God said by his blood. Now, I want you to look at the contrast. Verse 12. When Adam's sin, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everybody. You got the virus, right? For everyone has sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everybody died. And at the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did, now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace. There's that word again. And his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift, there it is again, is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads us to being made right with God, even though we were guilty of many sins. Now, that ought to bless you. Come on, adjust your blesser like, what? For the sin of this one man, Adam, 
caused death to rule over many. But greater, here it is again, is this God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. Here's condition. For all who receive it and will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life to everyone. Because one person disobeyed God and he became a sinner, we became sinners, but because of the one person who obeyed God, many, not all, verse 19, many will be made righteous. Here's the condition. Not all are made righteous. It is by faith in Christ that we have been made the righteousness of God. Verse 20, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all the people and brought them death, now God's wonderful grace, there it is again, rules instead, giving us a right standing. It's almost like Paul is like over and over. You getting this? Right standing, grace, gift, right standing, sin, grace, life, sin, Right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the original Bible did not have chapters. I want to keep reading. Chapter 6, verse 1. Well, then, Paul says, since he just poured out, he says, grace, grace, sin, sin, more sin, more abounding grace. He wants to make sure they don't miss it. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that we can, God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten when you were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. He's talking about water baptism. When you were water baptized with Christ, When you went under the water, it signifies death. That's why I'm not into sprinkling business, okay? When we do it at the ocean, man, we we make sure, waves and all, and people, Pastor, you're going to hold on me. There's a great undertow. We've not lost anybody. Come on. No fear. And if you die, I always tell them, if you die, it's a great time. I said, Pastor, that's crazy talk. I said, I know. I'm just messing with you, right? But we've had some times when the water's like, we got two or three of us, right? I'm just thinking this baptism is, there's a significance to the fact we were brought under the water and now we come out as new creatures in Christ. Verse four, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also have new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. This resurrection power, we have no idea. I've been in the tomb in Israel. It's empty, but I can imagine on that day when the rock was there and covered up, and all of a sudden the father said, my son lives, and the power of the Holy Ghost shot into that corpse, and it resurrected to the point where, boom, that same resurrection power lives in you and me. Now, I don't know how that's contained. I don't know how it works. But if he wants to get out once in a while. He wants to be free. We keep them all bottled up. Um, people might be worried, people pleasing, and what about me? And I'm insecure. And come on. We got a good story, good news to tell. Verse 6, he says, We know, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with him so that sin might lose its power. That word in the Greek is katageo, crucified, and it means unemployed. The day you got baptized and you gave your life and said, I'm coming, Jesus, and your name's written in the book, that old sinful character dude, he got put in a coffin. Jesus nailed him down, and he gave you the hammer and nails. That's why he says, take up your cross daily and nail that stuff. But don't let that sucker out of that coffin. 
Because he can come to life again. You can give him power. He says, don't, don't do it. He's going to go on. He's going to tell us more about this. He says, sin's lost its power. I want you to know something. This, this is basic gospel right now. But about two months ago, I'm in the health club. I'm in Planet Fitness. I'm going at it, man. I'm doing really good. I'm going. And this guy, I've never seen him before, and I've never seen him since. He walks up, and on his phone, it says, get back to basics. He puts it in my face. He smiles at me, and he walks out. Of this, walks out and I'm like, do I need to work harder? Do I need to diet? Get back. I've been praying into that. No, let's get back to basics. The basics of the word and power. We need it. We're doing it in our youth group. They got to bring their Bible. They got to do, you're going to get grounded in the word. We need to be grounded in the fact that grace is full of power. It's a gift that's given to us, right? It says, sin, it's lost its power. Now look at this. He says, we're no longer slaves to sin. Verse seven. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Well, pastor, I'm still struggling. Yes, Galatians 5 talks about the struggle. But you have been given the Holy Spirit to overcome that power. And I I, I don't, I want to be careful here. I want to tread in condemnation. But if you're still struggling in sin and there's no conscience to that, then I'm not sure you've ever been saved. Once you have the Holy Spirit... There is no way that you're good at it anymore. You might, you might still want to practice it once in a while, but you get filled with this overwhelming sense of grieving the Holy Spirit, of quenching in the Spirit. When I was not born again, man, I was good at sin. I could practice it, and you know, my, my conscience was seared, and like, hey, everybody's doing it. Devil made me do it. And then I get born again. It's like, oh, Lord. It's like the Isaiah 6. Isaiah the prophet, he says, when he saw the holiness of God, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. This is that place where if you're comfortable with sin, you need to come and get prayed for for salvation. Because this says, no, this can't be. He goes on, he says, you've been given power. Verse 9, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. And when he died once to break the power of sin, but now he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive through Christ Jesus. You're dead. You're dead to the old man. Sin is dead to me. You ever see the, some of the, the mafia, you're dead to me. In the mafia movies, you're dead to me. We ought to turn to the sinful man, you're dead to me. You have no relationship with me. That sinful man, if God is alive in me. Now I realize there's, there's, there's struggles, there's trials, there's tribulations, there's temptation. And you may fall, but God gives us the Holy Spirit. He does not keep us there. You, it's just not wanting, willing, or worthy of it anymore. No. Verse 12. Here's a now a grace condition. Do not let sin control the way you live. Amen. Don't let it. If, if he, King James says it this way. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body. It can't be sitting in the throne reigning over your body. It can't have control. There's another God in the throne room of my heart. I don't need to let sin reign in me anymore. Don't let it. Verse 13, don't let any part of your body, this is the soma, your physical man or woman, don't let it become an instrument of evil to serve sin, alcohol, drugs, immorality, porn, gossip, hatred, violence, murder, anger, rage. Those things have no place, Galatians 5, by those who walk after the Spirit. Don't let it become an instrument to serve sin. Instead, Give yourselves. This is the holy sacrifice, the living sacrifice. Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but let your be transformed by the renewed mind. Letting God change the way we think. If you do this, he'll show you his perfect plan. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead. 
but now you've got a new life. So your whole body is an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. There it is again. We live under the freedom of God's grace, but it's conditional. Walk in righteousness. More and more grace will abound in your life. More and more. Don't partner. Don't open. Don't crack those doors. After you've messed up a few times, right? Backslidden and messed it up, fallen back. You realize, I know how the devil plays me on that one. I just need to watch one of those little off-colored movies. Get some thoughts thinking. I need to hang around the wrong folks. Just one drink. Pretty soon, I buried a man after he found freedom. Got out of his immoral lifestyle. Got freed up from drugs and alcohol. Worked in freedom. And he said, well, I'm going downtown. I'm going to witness to my old buddies. One drink led to more drink the following week. At the end of his life, $25,000 of cocaine habit a month. Lost everything. He was killed in a motorcycle accident instantly. And when I went with his father, his, to his father to pray over the body, see if God would resurrect it from the dead, it was one of these holy, divine, wrecking moments. I'm in there with this broken, defeated body, lost in the midst of drug and addiction. And the father, the father just crying his heart out, come and pray with me, Pastor. Maybe my son will be raised from the dead. He, you led him to the Lord. I said, okay. Kneeling there by the body, asking God to do the impossible. The father stood up and he turned to me. He said, God just told me he took him by his grace because he would have lost it completely. He would have been lost to salvation if he didn't take him home. I don't know all the mystery of that. All I can tell you is God has a gift of grace. He's a God of great mercy, long-suffering Verse 15, well, then since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not. There it is, number two. Do you realize that you have become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You choose to obey whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave of whatever. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Verse 17, you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. See, here's Paul the father, the priest, who's happy that his, the people in Rome are now, they're, do, they're getting it. Now you are free from the slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using an illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led to even deeper sin. Now you must give yourselves as slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation of doing right. What was the result? You're now ashamed of the things that you used to do, the things that end in eternal doom, eternal damnation. But now you are free from the power of sin and you have become slaves of God. See, we need to trade slave camps. We're trading slave camps from sin to righteousness. Now, you do the things that lead to holiness, and the result is eternal life. The result, the consequence is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, you're familiar with the law. Don't you know that the law applies to a person while they're alive? For example, a woman who marries, the law binds her to her husband so long as he's alive. But if he dies, the law of marriage no longer applies to her. So while she, her husband's alive, she'll be committing adultery if she marries another man. 
But if her husband dies, she's free from the law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So my brothers, my dear brothers and sisters, at this point, you died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And you are no longer united with the one who was, you're now united with the one who's raised from the dead. As a result, here we go again, the consequences, we can produce a harvest of good deeds in God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires and produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we've been released from the law, for we died to it, and we're no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way, by obeying the letter of the law, but in a new way, by living by the Spirit. Now, I know that's a lot of reading, but I think to get the fullness of the grace of God, we have to understand, look, we're not controlled. Yeah, there's stuff that'll, that'll reel you in. There's temptation. It's all over the place. We live in a sinful, broken world. The God of this world, just turn on the television. Go on the internet. Good gravy. Gossip running wild, tearing down. But you know what? The Lord is draining the swamp. As righteousness, when a leadership, remember it says, when there's righteous leaders in power, the nation is at peace. When there's moral rot in nation, Proverbs tells us, the people are, it is awful. As we see, now there's no, none of us are righteous. No, not one. It's his righteousness, right? But as we have a group of people praying, and you need to pray for our president. First of all, it's biblical, Romans 13, right? Whether you agree or disagree, pray for him. Pray for his safety. But as there's a proclamation, I love what he said the other night in Florida. We don't worship government. We worship God, the creator of all of us. Man, I know there's some atheists going, ah, I don't like that guy. I'm like, yeah, come on, president. <laughs> What's happening is there's a righteousness and there's a blanket of righteousness that is draining the swamp. You think a couple of congressmen are going to resign? There's a whole horde of them that are getting out of here. God is going to release. He's going to uncover. He will shout this thing from the housetop as we no longer participate with unrighteousness. When leaders at the top start to pursue righteousness, God drops the blanket, lowers the standard to the place, raises the standard to the place where all that stuff is going to get exposed. You watch what happens in this next year. It's going to get wild. Pray for him. Pray for his safety because he is stepping on toes. There are those that would like to harm him. We need to cover him in prayer in Jesus' name that the righteous, when he says, I'm going to protect your religious liberties. I'm going to take care of the Johnson Act. You know, I could get locked up for telling you things that are in the book. They can take away our 401, our, not our 401, our 501c3, the one that says we're tax exempt. Because if I tell you that homosexuality is wrong, it's in the book, they can come in. Well, the Johnson, that Johnson Amendment needs to go. He said, I'm going to do it. So listen, pray, because religious freedom, your children and my grandchildren, this is a rabbit trail, your children and my grandchildren, this is a place where we need to pray into that. This is a window of opportunity that may not come for another generation, because when this wrath is poured out, it's done. All right, Lord help me. Now let's turn to our outline. No, that's good. We, we summarize a lot. I'm just going to hit it. God, wonderful grace, great. It's the gift of righteousness to, to all who receive it, and they will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. The currency of heaven is grace. The currency of heaven is grace. His grace give, forgives our sin, but it gives us, that grace gives us power over it. And when sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So just as sin ruled over people and brought them death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and results in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, spiritual obedience, just like Noah, just like Abraham, brings supernatural results. Number one, sin's power is broken. The old man is dead. Sin no longer controls the way you live, number two. You're now married to Mr. Grace, not Mr. Law, right? 
The law gave me no power, number four, over sin and grace. Number five, we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. Now, here's the spiritual warfare side. I'd like you to turn with me to familiar scripture, Ephesians chapter six. Very familiar scripture. Remember where he tells us to stand against the power of the enemy. Put on a final word here, he says. So Ephesians 6 and verse 10, a final word from Paul. This is after he's already taken him through, you have right standing with Christ, you're seated in the heavenly realms, here's how you should walk it out, husbands, wives, children, this is what you should do, and then he says, and then you got to fight the good fight. A final word, verse 10, chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There are at least six realms of darkness that are called out here. I won't unpack all of them, but I do want to unpack one. In number five there, it says, we wrestle against not flesh and blood, but evil rulers. The Greek word there is origins. An origin is a realm of darkness that counters truth in God. Pay attention here for one minute. This is important. I believe it'll help you maybe with some of the other things that are going around. An origin is a realm of darkness that brings a lot of deceptions. It can bring in, uh, it actually causes a spell to fall where there's such deception Example, we got smart people, an origin that questions the truth of God. This word says that in the beginning, God. We got smart people that look at the creation and said, we came from slime. Some lightning strike hit some amoeba somewhere. We don't know where that came from. But, you know, and, and smart people say, we, we evolved from some kind of a monkey. How in the world, how do you get there? I mean, it's almost like you... you it takes too much more faith to believe in evolution than in God. The Big Bang Theory came from him. God said there was light and there was. And, and so an origin, here's another one. Abortion. We have smart people that say many states still at 20 weeks you can abort a fetus. But if you wait long enough, that becomes a child. We've got smart people that believe that this tissue that's in a woman is not a child. How do you get there? How do you get, I mean, really, you have to be so stupid. That is a child. Wait long enough and I'll show you. We got smart people. Oh, no, it's choice. No, it's not. Hey, come on. There's another origin here. This is homosexuality. This whole fluidity garbage. We've got a, a male with male parts who believes they're a woman. Uh, no, that's not the way it works. It, this, these are origins of deception of lies that come. This is the evil rulers in the heavenly realms that drop blankets of deception over whole groups. And when we have leaders who partner and change laws of the land that come in that contradiction, Romans 1 says this. They can invent all kinds. They would not agree that he is the creator. And God gives them a reprobate mind that they cannot understand the truth. They invent more and more evil until the day where they are completely lost, inventing things, even doing ungodly things in their body. Men having sex with men. Women having sex with women. And God will come in his wrath and deal with that issue. Now, that don't, don't misinterpret. There are those that are walking... I, I have been deceived in the past. I was a sinner. Thank God someone prayed for me and led the grace of God, called me in. We're not angry at homosexuals. We're not angry at those who make up these laws. But God's grace, we have to pray because not all will be saved. And our children right now, the things they're teaching in the grade schools and in the middle schools are absolutely frightening under this deception. 
So we're not angry with the sinners. We love every person. But I'm not giving any grace to that origin. I'm going to tell you the truth, whether you do not like me or not, and you hate me to the point, I'm going to tell you the truth. I want to do it in love. I don't want to do it in condemnation. But when I get in arguments around the table with some folks about, well, you need to be more graceful about homosexuality. No, it leads to death. No homosexual will inherit the kingdom of God. No drunkard shall inherit the kingdom of God. No immoral or reprobate will inherit the kingdom of God. What word are you reading? Therefore, we need to know the truth that sets us free. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's life unto those who receive it. Come on. So look, we, we have to operate in love. But love says I don't cover it up and I compromise the word of truth. They killed Jesus for it. They stoned Stephen for it. Oh, I need to land this thing. Okay. The weapons of our warfare, number six, they're mighty to the pulling down of demonic strongholds. Turn with me to this scripture in 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You doing okay? All right, 2 Corinthians 10. This is a spiritual warfare chapter, very familiar. Paul tells us in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning. In the King James, it says, we, we war, not after the flesh. We're not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. That word there is fortress, and it's plural, fortresses. It goes back to that Ephesians scripture of the six realms of darkness. I don't have time to unpack it, but casting down, verse five, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself above or against the knowledge of God, bringing it into captivity, taking every thought to the obedience of Christ. There are strongholds of thinking. There are origins of thought. There are spells that are put over people that believe these lies. And we're to take that thought captive, everything that violates what is in this truth. Because he is the truth. He's the way. He is life. And apart from him, we can do nothing. Anyone who has the son has life. Anyone who does not have life does not have the, does not have the son does not have life, right? This life is in him, and he is now in us. And so... We now fight against these fortresses. Well, I listed a couple here. What are some of the building blocks of a fortress or a stronghold of ungodliness? Godless thoughts. Not all the thoughts are yours. I was ministering to a young person. I do this on all our times of prayer ministries. These thoughts that come in that we partner with that are no way true, but we believe them to be true, so we empower them. Those thoughts that are not yours, if you partner, see, one of the devil's deceptions, he has no power, but if you will partner with it, if he gets you to be deceived, that's why he's a snake, subtle, right? Those godless thoughts, you need to take them, run them through the Holy Spirit. Is that true? Does that line up with the word? No, it doesn't. Discard it. Take authority over it. Bind that lying spirit. That's why the accuser this morning, when that word came out, there's a false accusation being declared against you. We bind the accusing spirit and we lose truth. Because the truth sets us free. Now, B, speculation. Did God say? He always uses that. In the garden, it started there. Did God say you'll die if you eat this? Did he say that you're just going to become like God? Oh, let me have that apple. What did he do with Jesus, the Son of God? He's full of the Holy Ghost. We won't turn there because we're running out of time. But in Luke 4, after Jesus is baptized in the Holy Ghost, it says the Spirit leads him into the desert where he's to be tempted by the devil. The way the devil comes after him, first thing he says, if you're the Son of God after a 40-day fast and you're hungry in the natural, I'd sure like to have some bread. If you're the Son of God, change the stones to bread. What do you mean if? The big ifs. What are the big ifs in your life? What's he sitting there saying, if, if, if? Did God say? Those big ifs, man. Then the lofty things. Anything that makes God small and whatever this lofty thing is bigger than God. It's the rent check that's due, and I only got two days and there's no money in the account. The lofty thing says, I'm going to be homeless. Nothing's going to work out for me. 
It's lofty. I just made my lack greater than the God who is my Jehovah Jireh. I'm a tither. I'm a giver. And therefore, you said you would rebuke the devourer for my sake. You would pour out a blessing that is greater than I can contain. So, Lord, I'm just waiting for you to activate that. These are lofty things. Fear, fear is faith in the wrong God. Number seven, all of us have our wilderness places that we go to. So read that, Luke 4, and you'll see. But the Lord exposes the big ifs in your life. When you go through a temptation, warfare, you'll find out what, who's your God, who's your identity, what's your authority, and where is your life really grounded. That's why he puts us through that. All right. Look at the last part. God is able, the very bottom of the outline, God is able. I love that. Thank you that you're able to make all grace abound. Oh, thank you. He's able to make all grace abound. Where? To me, towards you. That you, having always all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Man, there's nothing lacking there. When, we, when Sarah was singing, or Amber was singing, it says, you're, you're enough, you're, you're all, we want the whole Christ, salvation, healing, deliverance, fullness. We get the whole package. I don't want just a little bit of Jesus, I want all Jesus, right? And once we got all Jesus, he's able to make all grace abound to you in all things, in everything, so you can have a good work to do. Come on, you ought to get excited. If you're blessed, you're not blessed. There's something wrong with your blesser. God is graceful and he loves us. Jesus. Wow. All right. We're going to have communion. We're going we're to seal this whole time. Before we do that, if you're here and you're not sure, maybe you've been struggling with sin, you haven't had victory. Maybe I can have a few men, Doug and, and uh, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Tracy, would you bring that communion table over? If you're here and you're just not really sure where you are with God. Don't be ashamed. This is a really great day where you stake ground and say, you know what? I'm going to stand for anybody today, and I want them to know that on this day, December 10th, I made it clear that I, I love Jesus. I'm standing. He said, if you're ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of you. But if you'll stand before men, this is interesting. I don't know why this whole, well, I just like to do it in the quiet of my home. That's okay. But there's something about, I want everybody to know that I made a decision. So I want to offer, because we don't want you to take communion. Paul warns about not doing it unworthily. And none of us are worthy, but he makes us worthy because he makes us righteous. Right? So if you're here this morning, the first category is if you don't really know, I'm going to ask... Uh, Where's Pastor Terry and Jan? And uh, let's see. Come on. We've got a couple of, a few more of our prayer ministers here. Milton and Tish, would you come on up? Kind of just head over that way a little bit so we can have the... If you're not sure, before you take communion, would you please pray with some of our prayer counselors here? Or if you're wrapped up in a sin that's just been kicking you around. I have not been able to really find real freedom from that sin there's no condemnation in that all of us have fallen short I'm, and the more we walk with this there's none of us that have got this righteous thing we can wear a badge about no we're all every day that's why he said take up your cross daily and follow me crucify this flesh daily tomorrow's a new day you may have victory today yeah we're in service awesome and then tomorrow morning you wake up it's like oh my lord what in the world I, I, they call them Blue Mondays. Many pastors go through a, a reflection, almost heavyweight. In fact, Bill Johnson said, I used to get depressed for three days, call them Blue Mondays. Because what happens is you preach the word and then you realize in the reflection of the word, I'm not as good as all that I just preached. And it's like you turn the mirror on yourself and say, God, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I know I take a different test. Pat makes fun of me. He says, you know, you're going to take a different test than I have to. I, said, I know, that's scary. That's plumb scary. I'm just being honest with you. So there's no one here that can walk around thinking I'm all this in a bag of chips. You're not. In fact, Paul tells you, if you think you're righteous, watch out. So if you're here and there's a sin that's been you've been battling with, and 
I don't need to broadcast that sin, but you need to confess it because here's what happens. And these guys are trustworthy. They're not going to spread it around. Oh, wow, you're such a sinner. Please. James says, James 5 says, confess your sins one to another that you might be sozoed in the Greek. Saved, healed, and delivered. We get the whole Christ. Amber was saying, we want the whole Jesus. He paid it all. Salvation, healing, and deliverance. So if you're battling with anything, I'd like you to pray before you take communion. I'm going to invite Bobby and Tammy come on up here, guys. and I'm going to ask my wife if she'll join me too. I often say how marriage is such a blessing. We've been married 44 years. I think we were here in George and Arlene was saying 55 years, right? Wow. And Kit was actually... Kid Austin was telling me this the other night. He says, we've been married 44. That's really 88. Because if Ginny's not given 100% and I'm not given 100%, it doesn't work. And there's been times when it hasn't worked well. But praise God. Christian marriage is such an amazing blessing. When you have two people that love Jesus, not perfect. Good Lord. Because I had a, I think it was Papa Jack told me, marriage is designed to kill both of you. Because we're basically selfish, self-centered people. And I want it my way, and I want it now. And my wife says, no, you're not. And then I got to go deal with that issue, right? So it'll kill your flesh. But when we have two people that are in pursuit of God in his presence, he'll work it out. He will work it out. And so we want to pray. Would you guys stretch your hands towards Bobby and Tammy and Lord, I thank you that having heard their confession of faith in Christ Jesus, in our premarital counseling and the declaration of the love of God, that's forced first and foremost in their marriage. And life has not always been easy. These guys have a testimony to tell. But they found you, and then they found each other. And I want us to pray a blessing over their marriage, their life, and relationships, that their children, Lord, as Bobby steps into that role of raising teenagers, God, help him. Help him, Jesus. Lord, as a stepdad, God, that is, thank you for stepdads and moms, for guardians, those grandparents, those who stand in the gap in this fractured and broken world. So, Lord, we pray for Tammy and for Bobby right now. We release favor and grace on their lives, God. And we thank you. Thank you for the gift of marriage, Lord. And we bless them. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask my wife if she would bring the elements here. I wanted them to take communion first. There's a covenant in marriage. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he took the bread. And he said, take and eat this and remember me. And as often as you do it, you declare my covenant. The blood that was sealed, this new covenant. So Lord, I thank you for the promise of your covenant blessing. The grace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So we bless them. We bless their marriage now. If you would take and give each other this communion host. pray long life and health over them in Jesus name so now let's stand and
So, Lord, we thank you that in 1 John 1, 9, it says, confess your sins to him. He's faithful to forgive us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, I thank you that you have made us the righteousness of Christ through faith in Jesus. So now, Lord, would you search us, see if there be any wicked thing in us. Paul tells us to judge ourselves that we be not judged. Communion table is open to all those who believe. If you'll come down the center, both sides, and then go to the left and to the right. Anyone with any physical uh, difficulties, if you want to come to the back of the table so that you can receive communion as well.